Joso. Uh, no. More about gel coat. When the force. Don't you call in the. More importantly. Now the world don't move. Welcome back to TV Talkaholics number 12. We are recording this on October 31st, Halloween, which is the second birthday of Let's Face the Facts. It is. Happy birthday to you. Thank you. Happy birthday to you. You didn't know that you needed Judy Garland to sing happy birthday to you, did you? I always need Judy Garland to be singing me happy birthday. You were all over my memories today, David Almeida. Oh, oh dear. I get up oh. in the morning and I check my Facebook memories, as you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can wonder what the fuck you were talking about eight years ago when you wrote, well, this sucks, as a status <laughs> update. Yeah. Yes. Um... <laughs> Um, it rained today when I wanted to do this show outside. This is literally the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, children. But there's one, the anniversary of the podcast. Um, and there's a picture somebody randomly took of us at work, like, mm. and you're in. And then, as a t- perfect talkaholics point, um, fam- Facts of Life podcast adjacent Facebook post about what I was going to be for Halloween. Was, oh, I, I remember that. What? What? what it was well, some... I was trying to decide between Anne Anne Frankenstein, uh huh, or um, Tootie Benet Ramsey. <laughs> and, and which did you choose? I figured it was too soon. For Anne Frankenstein. <laughs> but not for John Bonet, which is from yeah, 90. Yeah, but you know. <laughs> which was but, more important. Which was more important. Uh, yeah, really. Historically speaking. Uh, so that original memory. Are you talking about the original, like, the one where I, I'm like, hey, guys, my podcast is live and ready to go. And Yes. Okay, okay, 80,000 people start downloading and listening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And 23 That's... people are going to hear this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think our Tutti Fruities are 25 now. I think Ooh, our... Oh, uh... girl. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yes, uh, a wonderful faction. And remember, I've always kind of sort of thought that while we're regrouping after let's face the facts is over which is going to be in about two years Mm -hmm. so um when it's over trying to figure out what the next thing is going to be if i want to continue podcasting doing the show uh, it kind of is in the back of my head that tv talkaholics will go into the free stream later so in in two years the world at large will be able to enjoy these gems (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that the Tutti Fruities uh, paid us this wonderful money to get early access to. So, uh, Tutti Fruities, you are welcome. Because the first thing I do when I um, when I find a new podcast is go back two years to see what they were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh my God, think of it. Isn't it going to be cool, though, in two years? No. What? No, I haven't finished, dear. Oh, whatever you're going to say, no, it's not going to be cool, but go ahead. It's, no, it's going to be cool in two years. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it'll be only two years where we're able to say, 
Jesus, shut up about the fucking COVID, would you? It happened. We get it. Like, that was all anybody was talking about. Jesus, what a big fucking deal. You know what I mean? Isn't it nice now to imagine a future time when where we are now will be past fucking tense? Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yep. You want to talk about so, different strokes? We do. Uh, do we introduce this? This is TV Talkaholics, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. I am David Almeida. Hi, David. And you are? Oh, it's so tacky to introduce oneself, does isn't it? Isn't it? But I, I just <clears throat> did that, so. Well, yeah, but do you want me to introduce you? If if you would, okay. Do you have theme music? And, and <laughs> yes, I will include some theme music. I prefer Hello Dolly or Everything's Coming Up Roses, <laughs> like the kind of jazzy version that they play. You know, when Merman would walk out, they'd be like, "Ladies and gentlemen, Epa Merman." <laughs> like that okay so (laughs) i will give you a music cue here because i've told you that carol channing story right what what's the carol channing story when she was doing dream girls with um leslie uggams and andrea mccardle andrea mccardle told me Uh, jerry's girls i hope not dream girls (laughs) 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 i'm looking right at the poster and i said dream girls um (laughs) We're your dream girls. Oh, we'll make you happy. <laughs> Listen to the song in my heart. I know that wasn't in the stage show, but um, they were doing Jerry's Girls, and one night at the dressing room, Andrea McCardle said to the group as they were all three getting made up, oh, "I've got to go to." Fort Lauderdale, I've got to do this stupid thing where I just have to sing tomorrow. I am so sick of singing tomorrow. And Carol Channing looked over and said, Oh, Andrea, you must go and sing tomorrow. How wonderful it is to have a song that is associated with you. I mean, when when I perform at the Tonys, they play Hello, Dolly. And when you come out at the Tonys, they play Tomorrow. What the hell are they going to play when Leslie walks out? (laughs) And and Leslie was there in the room. Leslie was between them. And (laughs) Andrea said she literally stopped mid-eyeline. Like, she was like, I'm in the room. (laughs) I can hear you. (laughs) Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. anyway. Yeah. But... Um, what, what were we talking about? Oh, that's right. I was about to introduce my co-host, ladies and gentlemen, the amazingly talented, multifaceted, multi-personalityed Matthew Arder. Oh, the name seated. <laughs> okay. And okay, so the theme music is now gone. <clears throat> it is over. Uh, it, is, it has ended. What a lovely introduction. Thank and, and you. Completely unsolicited. So so nice. We're gonna talk about different strokes today, David. Different strokes, Matthew, and we're not talking about those porn VHS series from the nineteen nineties. Wait, we're not? Because that is what I watched. <laughs> well, um, I mean I did too, but 
I had I had a, like five extra minutes before we were starting to record today. My but, notes um, are not going to make any sense. Oh, really? <laughs> well, okay. I did a deep dive. We originally talked about doing two episodes, but I, I'm fairly sure as we get started right now, this one single episode alone is going to be deep dive and pretty crazy, and it will, it will give us plenty of show to share with our beloved Tutti Fruities. So, Matthew, mm-hmm. give me a, a random fact about different strokes. Did you do any research or find any other find any information uh, out? Well, I just I was looking and like I was looking at the timeline. Like the second like Mrs. Garrett left and then I was like, "Oh, um the little old lady maid came on." Do you know she that was only be... in 22 episodes? Yeah, just one season. That was the the wonderful Nidra Voles in the role of Adelaide. That was the transitional maid for just that one season before we committed to the wonderful Mary Jo Catlett as Pearl. And uh, yeah, I, I recall that Adelaide wasn't there that long. Did she die? No, she didn't die until fucking way <laughs> later. Because I saw she did something in 1996. What? That was her last credit. (laughs) Holy fuck. I didn't know that. She died in 2003. What? And she was only 94. So let's do the math. How old was she when she... She she was your age, David. She was your age. Shut up. No. Ah. Shut your fucking pie You look like Adelaide to young people, David. (laughs) (laughs) I was deep diving. We will be deep diving and getting into Norman Lear and Archie Bunker's place. And I started looking and I was like, what year was Archie Bunker's place? What year was uh, Owen the family? And I looked up when they did the pilot to the first episode of Owen the family that aired in 1971. Mm -hmm. Carol O'Connor was 47 years old. I'm like, no, he was 60. He was born a 60 year old. How the fuck was Carol O'Connor five years younger than I am? Do I look like, am I, is that it? Am I, am I an Archie Bunker? Is that me, Matthew? Matthew, am I an older Archie Bunker? (laughs) I'm trying to do Sally Field and Soap Dish. I don't know if it's reading. It wasn't. Um, Yeah. What am I, David? Am I 80? Gloria fucking Swanson wears turbans, David. Continue. um, If you're Adelaide then I am Mary Jo Catlett. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> I just looked up her birthday and did some math. So there's that. So that's what I look like to young people. Fucking Pearl. <laughs> so let's get into different strokes and talk a bit about the show. Overall, Matthew, mm-hmm. did you watch the show when it was on? I remember watching it. I do. I can't say that I was ever happy when it came on. Mm-hmm. Or was interested in any of their lives. Yeah. But compared to Facts of Life. Compared I to felt Facts like, of Life or Golden Girls yeah. or any other show. Like I watched it, mm. but it made no impact on me. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. It's like for some I, I connected so much more with and, the characters of these other shows. And looking at it, what am I to relate to in that? <laughs> The middle-aged millionaire, or the two young poor boys from Harlem. Or or the boring as paint Dana Plato. 
Wow. Who did we connect with, David? We connected with the crazy redhead. And this that's, is Garrett. And that's why we followed her to Facts of Life and we're like, oh, thank Christ. Yeah. They must have grappled with, do we really want to remove her from this show? Because <laughs> we got we got stuff going on. Granted, they had Gary Coleman. I mean, really and truly. Gary Coleman did carry a lot here. Uh, but let's uh, let's get to different strokes. This is a TV show. It ran from 1978 to 1985. That is eight seasons. That is no small feat for a show, a sitcom to run eight seasons, 189 episodes. And Matthew, one of the original titles they were considering before they landed on different strokes, 45 minutes from Harlem. Yeah. Even though according to Wikipedia, Harlem is only a 10 to 15 minute trip from downtown Manhattan uh, by taxi or by subway. But, oh well. It was a Norman Lear show. As we know, The Facts of Life would also be as its spinoff. And uh, it was originally set up as a vehicle for Conrad Bain, just off the success of being Arthur, the neighbor and friend of Walter, on uh, the TV show Maud, another Norman Lear show. Which had ended abruptly. Yeah, why was that? What happened? B didn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) It was B? Yeah. Really? She said seven years is enough. Wow. She said, I mean, they were about to make Maud a senator and like lift her and put her into Washington. She's like, if you're changing the format of the show, it's not the same show. Yeah. And we're not. So she felt like all the stories had been told. Mm hmm. And uh, honestly, there are so many sitcoms where it's like, you know, the fifth year, the sixth year, we're good. You could end on top. Mary Tyler Moore did seven years, and she was like, nope, uh, we're going out in style. We're going out on top. It's a seven-year itch. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Conrad Bain, I couldn't find this. Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I'm not a big fan. Old queen. Oh, was he? Was he? He I mean, come on. The way he's fopping around this, this, this mansion, this penthouse. Always. I, I love your physicality that you're doing. I wish we listeners God. could see it. Um, he's kind of prancing, but in a sitting position. He's foppish. He's like Vincent Price type. Like he's not full Paul yeah. Lind, but he's kind yeah. of Vincent Pricey gay. Like David Niven, a swaggering yeah. gay. <laughs> yeah. My thing with him is, first of all, I had heard somewhere that it was part of his deal that he cut with Maud. When he signed on, that his agents finagled it that, and when Maud ends, he gets his own series. Hmm. You, the network has to develop a series for him, and of course, you know, do a pilot, then the pilot may not get picked up. But, um, so it, it is interesting, and he's certainly an unlikely actor to have had seven years on Maud and eight on this, to have a 15-year run of steady sitcom work. I just find him... He's, I mean, he's certainly pleasant enough. Yeah. He's certainly jovial and, you know, all that. But, but I always, I always found him to be just a little bit mush mouth. Like, I always just found that he's just one of those, well, you know, Arnold and Willis, it's a very bad thing if you take drugs. I, I, I always find him to be blah. That was like, the did, best did, Conrad Bain impression I've ever seen. <laughs> and I have seen a lot of Conrad Bain impressions <laughs> in my life, David. <laughs> 
I'm no stranger to sarcasm, Matthew. How dare you? I once judged a Conrad Bain lookalike contest. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> and who won? What was that like? Funny enough, Conrad Bain didn't. <laughs> oh, interesting factoid. Did you know he is a half of twins? Oh, he has a twin two brother. Of him? <laughs> there's two of him, and he appeared on Different Strokes. Now that you say when that, I remember. There was an episode where there was a distant cousin of his that came over from Norway, Finland, somewhere Scandinavian. Uh, and this it was one of those awful sitcom tropes of we have to set up a thing of the lead actor being in drag and playing a woman, playing a female relative. Like like yeah. Squiggy's sister Squendolin on Laverne and Shirley, you know? <laughs> ah, ah, yeah. So he appears, Conrad Bain, as his own female cousin. And there were a couple of shots older where they didn't want to have to patty duke and split screen it. So they brought in his brother. And in some shots, they put the brother in drag. It's, it's uh, yeah. Oh, I need to look that one up. I would watch yeah. that one to see Conrad Bain in drag. <laughs> <laughs> I, I looked at it. It's it's quite disturbing. But I want you to do the math on Conrad Bain. Oh, I, I didn't look up how old he was, and I meant 1923 to. 1923, he was born. Go born ahead. Born in 23? Uh-huh. So in 1973, he was 50. So that means in 1978, when the show premiered, he was 55. Don't you dare point your goddamn <laughs> finger at me. I'm 52. You're Conrad just, Bain. I <laughs> My older sister is Conrad Bain. How fucking dare you? <laughs> so, yes, Conrad Bain had a history with Norman Lear from his work on Maud. Gary Coleman had a history with Norman Lear by appearing in small roles, just one or two episodes of The Jeffersons and Good Times. And in both of those episodes, he makes quite a splash because he is just so fucking cute. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet he is so sassy and funny. He's got great comic timing. And ugh, it was uh, whoever the executive was that said, that kid needs a series. We need to build something around him. He wasn't wrong. No. It needed to happen, really. Well, you saw, he was, he was such a personality, you know. And you meet every once in a while a kid with a big personality. But, like, <clears throat> he had, there was a lot going on for him. The person made a, a right decision. He but the person also should have been there to be like, uh, he's not young and cute anymore at season five and been like, let's end this now. Yeah. Because the later like seasons, he is, it's not cute. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, he's, he's just, he's just fucking tired because he's going through all the legal battles with his parents over the mismanagement yeah. of his money from the time he's been working on the show. And, Ugh, it's a terrible thing. All of them. We're, we're going to talk about the tragedy that befell uh, these, these poor kids in just a minute. But to recap, we've discussed Gary Coleman before because he has appeared on The Facts of Life. But Gary Coleman uh, suffered from a disease called focal segmental glomerulosclerosis. Ah. Is the best pronunciation I'm going to attempt to do. It is a congenital kidney disease. And uh, the corticosteroids and other medications that are used to treat it uh, had stunted his growth so that at his full adult height, he was only four foot eight inches. Oh, my God. I thought you were talking about Conrad Bain until the very end. Uh, no. <laughs> talking about Gary Coleman. Okay. I was like, really? 
Jeez, how short was uh, Arnold? Okay. <laughs> Arnold was a figurine. But, um, and what I didn't know is that uh, he underwent two unsuccessful kidney transplants in 1973 and then again in 1984, which is, that's while the show was running. Yeah. And so he was frequent. He required frequent dialysis, and that's that's not cool. That was that was being dealt a bad hand right there, right out the gate. And uh, did you know, Matthew? He was in a pilot the previous year to Different Strokes. It was a pilot to revive the Little Rascals, and he was supposed to play Stymie. Oh dear. Okay. Thank God it didn't get picked up. I don't even want to think of what that would have been like. Oof. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, so the premise of Different Strokes, the premise of Different Strokes is it's basically it's kind of sort of rags to riches. It's Prince and Popper kind of a thing. Uh, just to be sure I was clear, I went back and looked at the pilot episode, which we need to do uh, on, on this. Sh- we need to watch some of the Mrs. Garrett episodes from season one of Different Strokes. And we could talk about those, too. But in the pilot Mrs. Garrett uh, says, okay, we're ready to go. And he says, the boy's room is ready. And she's like, yes, there's only one other thing to do. And he says, what? And she says, I quit. And he's like, what? 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 Mrs. Garrett, you're going to quit? Well, what do you mean? So uh, <laughs> she says, this is the impression Orama, ladies and gentlemen. She says, when you hired me yesterday, you told me you had a 13-year-old daughter. You said nothing about two younger boys. I don't do windows and I don't do boys. So he hired her under the pretense that, oh, there's two more kids fucking coming tomorrow that I'm not going to tell you about. And, but, um, really, Mrs. Garrett, you don't do windows? Really? Yeah. Oh, oh, and when he sneaks up on her to say, is everything ready? She's vacuuming so she can't hear him. So he taps her on her shoulder and she turns and does one of those. Yeah! And he's like, oh, no, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Drummond. I've been going to karate school and I've learned just enough to know how to hit where it hurts. So add that to her list. She is a fucking black belt in karate or a, or a blue belt or a blue balls. I don't know what you do. But anyhow, add that to the list of things that Mrs. Garrett brings to the table is that she also knows karate. Um, but uh, this episode, no housekeeper. No, no, interesting. And, and 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 taking that idea one step further, no supervision for the children when the father's not home, which is very disturbing. Yeah. Mm. I mean, so, uh, yeah. But um, so to appeal to Mrs. Garrett to get her to stay in the pilot of Different Strokes, he says, please, Mrs. Garrett, they're orphans. Help me to make them feel at home here. They're from Harlem. Their mother was my housekeeper for many years. She was like a member of the family. I always love when they say, like, it's a sitcom trope. She's like family that we pay to show up here and clean. Our toilets. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> She was like a really member like of the family. family. Um, you missed a spot there, dear. <laughs> but, um, and he says, on her deathbed, she asked me to take care of her two boys. And they have no other relatives to take them in. They're just two sweet, innocent, helpless little boys. And uh, that's it. That's There it is. It's the, the whole thing. And I do want to point out, the pilot clearly had a laugh track. They clearly taped it without an audience and put the laughs in later. And 
when Conrad Bain makes his first entrance, they put in the clap track. And I mean the clap track we have discussed a hundred times that they have used on the facts of life and different strokes. It's that awkward clap, 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 clap. So they, the fact that it's like, we're going to deliberately make the artistic choice to be like, oh, Conrad Bain, yeah, he's famous and beloved and he's got a show, woohoo! We're so <laughs> happy to see Conrad Bain back on TV. Yeah, damn. Uh, there was a much needed gap that was just filled. Um, mm. So here's the premise. It's two poor black kids staying with a rich old white dude girl if you think somebody's listening to this that doesn't know the premise of different strokes matthew <laughs> sorry i try to appeal to the masses yeah okay go ahead yeah but they are willis is uh todd bridges arnold is gary coleman kimberly the daughter we often forget is there because the show is so focused on the boys uh is played by dana plato Oof. and uh they, they do call him Mr. Drummond for the first season. Uh, this is season three, episode 13. So I think the first two seasons, he was Mr. Drummond, and then he does legally adopt them, and then he becomes dad. So that's why in this episode, they do refer to him as dad. I remember that episode when he was they were struggling with changing their last name to Drummond, but they didn't want to forget their mother. So mm -hmm. he said, I am all for you keeping the last name Jackson. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm all, I'm all for you keeping the last I don't, I can't do it. I can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> that was can't amazing. <laughs> Conrad Bain, also close personal friend with our dear friend of the show, Diana Eden, because he was in hot spot with her. Oh, <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. I, that was in the book, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. The wonderful memoir stars in their underwear available at Amazon.com. So the next deep dive I did is I was like, okay, another thing that Different Strokes is known for is the tragic lives of the kids. And I did a deep dive here, so I'm thinking I need to gloss over it because we're quite a ways in. We haven't even yeah. started talking about the show. And again, but they're, they're not going to hear anything they, they don't already know. Yeah, I suppose. You we can... all know they were fucking mess. <laughs> Gary Coleman had medical problems and financial woes with his uh, parents mismanaging his money and his trust. Uh, Dana Plato uh, held up a video store in 1991. Did tried a porno. To fake a <laughs> she tried to fake a prescription. She claimed that she had gotten clean and sober, but she died, sadly, in 1999 at the age of 34. That's that's way too fucking young. She did Playboy, didn't she? Or Penthouse. She did. I, I think she did also that too. Hustler. She needed the fucking money. Which one did she yeah. do? Hustler. Was it, that's was the, it Hustler? That's the dirty one. Hustler. That's the one where you... That's the one where they develop. spread those lips. And <laughs> <laughs> you, get oh. a, you get a new love for luncheon meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, she uh, sadly died of multiple drug intoxication by taking too many painkillers and muscle relaxants. And there are questions whether it might have been suicide. Mm -hmm. That's uh, we may never know. And lastly, Todd Bridges. Oh, and Gary Coleman passed away in 2010 at age 42. Also way too young. By the way, you're pointing at me. You're Conrad Bain. You're then. I'm actually Gary Coleman. Gary Coleman is six months older than I am. 
was born in February of 68. And lastly, Todd Bridges, who is the only living cast member, if you don't count Mary Jo Catlett, uh, he has had drug problems and he had trouble with being arrested for firearms. And uh, he's, he's still working, though. Todd Bridges still does have small roles in some things. So we have arrived to... <laughs> We have Matthew. I never thought I'd say this. <laughs> Let's start synopsizing. <laughs> Season three, mm-hmm. episode fifteen, mm-hmm. entitled "The Older Man." Original air date February twenty fifth, nineteen eighty one. Directed by Garen Keith, big time director. Had directed a lot of stuff, including a hundred and forty different strokes. So he directed a lot of these. And it was written by Albert E. Lewin, L-E-W-I-N. This is the sixth of ten episodes he wrote for Different Strokes. He is a writer that has goes all the way back to the dawn of television. His earliest credit is an Alice in Wonderland adaptation from 1949. <laughs> that explains a lot, a couple of the choices in the writing. Yeah, the, the vaudevillian writer yep, the vaudevillian syndrome writer. that we... Find in Facts of Life, yes. And Matthew, he wrote for the Facts of Life. Of course he did. One episode. Which episode? Season was that? one, episode twelve, Molly's Holiday. <laughs> and you know, for the oh. next nine years, he was talking to his friends in the writers' room of Facts of Life. Hey, I wrote an episode. If you guys need, like, yeah, you guys, I'm, I'm, I'm happy yep. to help. Popping his head in, yeah. And they're like, I know he wrote. He wrote, you guys, he wrote Molly's Holiday from season one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we we don't want him writing for us. Hey, guys, you know, I, I did do some Gilligan's Island. I worked on My Favorite Martian, yeah, mm-hmm. The Brady Bunch, mm-hmm. Odd Couple. Ixnay on the, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, the the Eddie Cantor Comedy Theater Ooh. in 1955. Is that, is that, isn't that cred enough to be a... Waka waka. No? <laughs> But those are actual credits of his, by the way. But um, this broadcast the same night as The Facts of Life Season 2, Episode 12, The Secret, which is the show where we learn that Joe's dad is in prison. Oh. So we're talking, this was uh, when Different Strokes and Facts of Life were paired up on Wednesday nights. Do you know what it was opposite, Matthew, (laughs) on ABC? No, what was it opposite? Aloha Paradise. The hell is that? It was an eight-episode show mm. on ABC starring Debbie Reynolds and Bill Daly. <laughs> the series follows the lives of the staff and guests at the Paradise Village Resort, uh. located on the coast of Kona, Hawaii. Debbie Reynolds portrayed Sidney Chase, Paradise Village's manager. Bill Daly portrayed the resort's assistant manager, Curtis Shea. Each episode tells three or four stories about people either in love, out of love, or looking for love. Guess who was the producer? Um, Aaron Spelling. Ding, 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 ding. Because <laughs> it's Facts of Life, Love Boat, or it's it's fucking Love Boat. It's fucking Fantasy, Fantasy Island, Island <laughs> and Dynasty all all in one. It was panned by the critics because they're like, uh, "This is Love Boat without the boat." <laughs> This is Fantasy Island without the fantasy. It's like, what the shit is the... Why? Why would this have made it on the air? Awful. 
no executives were like, this sounds an awful lot. Like, am I alone? Yeah. I'm, okay, shh, nope. Shh. Aaron Spelling. Right, got it. He prints fucking money for us. Got it. Let's do yeah. it. Good idea. And Debbie Reynolds, you say? Okay. Debbie, damn. <laughs> Peak of her career. You think we can we, You think we can get that stud bill daily? <laughs> <laughs> and Aloha Paradise couldn't compete with the popular sitcoms on the other network. Which was different strokes and facts of life. It didn't, it, this was not considered a good time slot because at this point, different strokes and facts of life had kind of locked in that block of time on the heels of real people, which we've discussed many times from eight to nine o'clock. So, <sighs> watching this on dailymotion.com, I am so sorry. The commercials are punishing. Oh, uh, but I could fast forward through them. You what? I fast forwarded through them. I didn't know I could do that. Yeah. So, are you ready, Matthew? Oh, did you want to synopsize this now? So we start at the Drummond house. <gasps> Go figure. Did you like their their apartment? I always just remember it being like nothing's like it was tacky. I thought I just thought it was tacky, uh, and I thought it was uh, weird. Like I I can't get my head around that being an apartment in new york i know that it is and i know that that they have those and but it just i can't get over that being a you know a penthouse you know like yeah it is a little weird with the gigantic grand sweeping staircase and all that because it seems to just be like Uh, one big room with like bedrooms attached to it and a kitchen like i don't know i don't know it's It's, uh, yeah no no i give you that to me it is it's pretty opulent yeah and I think that it it maybe could have it's it's one of those where you know well in TV world we have to show visually this is a rich person's place it's big there's staircases and ceilings and balconies which they use yeah. in this episode but um yeah but in this room yeah who are the first people that we see Matthew we see Natalie and Blair Natalie and Blair yes from the facts of life we have a crossover episode. And they are there because they are rehearsing a play with Kimberly, Drummond's daughter, who kinda, sorta attends Eastland. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. When they need her to. We haven't seen her since the backdoor pilot. Like, yeah. Kimberly is not and has never been a character and has never made an appearance on an episode of The Facts of Life. So it's weird that they're using this pretense of, uh, yeah, she goes to Eastland in Peekskill and we're going to come to New York and rehearse a play in Manhattan because you do that with our costume. And uh, anyway, but what we learn is that Kimberly is outside the door waiting to make an entrance. We've not seen Kimberly, but we know she's out there. So Arnold and Willis show up. And this is where you get your exposition sitcom style. Mm. What are you guys doing? Oh, we're rehearsing a play. She's outside. So ding dong, the doorbell. And they go to answer the door. And Natalie's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? And they said, our counselor from the Y is coming over. That's him. And Natalie's like, no, it's not. It's Kimberly. We're rehearsing the play now. So she opens the door. And the big reveal is what? She looks like a hoa. <laughs> Blair has painted her up like a lady of the evening. You think so? She's got um, 
bossy the cow lashes on. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and uh, in typical 80s style, she's 15 years old, but is passing for 35. Mm-hmm. She looks yes. like a librarian whore. Yeah. <laughs> lot of paint. A yeah. lot of war paint. But she, I think she looks good, though. Ugh. I don't think she looks unattractive. That face. Ugh. Oh, I, that doesn't bother me. I always thought she was pretty. The teeth. But, uh, Ugh. Oh, that, that didn't bother me. But uh, the deal is she is dressed up unlike we have ever seen Kimberly before. And so she is wearing a skirt suit with shoulder pads and uh, she's got her hair done. And she has actually that's a good hairstyle for her. If she were 35. Yeah. But but I mean, it didn't look like they didn't put her hair up into a fucking bun like Mrs. Garrett (laughs) into a balloon knot. (laughs) (laughs) But. I just, I think that passing, to me, the look of maturity worked. It wasn't one of those, oh, come on. Okay. And then when the guy shows up and is taken with her, I think this is one of those, like, she, legitimately, Dana Plato is at that point of being 15 years old. And by the way, so Dana Plato was born in November of 64, and this is February. What time of day, though, David? (laughs) I I can't provide all the information, Matthew. And this episode is uh, 81. So she is uh, 16 going on 17. Stop it. Um, Yeah, that's inappropriate. So Dana Plato is actually 16, but in the show, Kimberly is 15. So she's only a year older. It's not like she really is 20. But the idea that she's right at the cusp of dress her down she looks like a teenager but dress her up she does look mature and i think passably mature all right you you don't agree i guess but it's the 80s yeah where everybody looks like they're 35 i guess by the way is have we learned yet i don't know where you are in the scene um we find out natalie's middle name yes yes it is when Blair basically says, well, my work here is done because Blair takes credit that this is a this makeup job, this this makeover of Kimberly is uh, of her creation. So she says, uh, well, my work here is done. And they're like, well, Blair, you did a great job. And she says, well, beauty is my middle name. And Natalie says, you're lucky. My middle name is Letitia. Letitia. But um. That's a good one. What's a funny name for a kid to have as a middle name? Letitia. And by the way, according to Wikipedia, Natalie's full name is Natasha. Natalie's a nickname. Her name is Natasha Letitia Sage Green. So I think in an episode of The Facts of Life, it is revealed her middle name is Sage because they forgot about this. So we have to give her two middle names. So, um... Blair is there as the makeup artist. Now, uh, we have the boys chiding them a little bit about, you know, this play and this stupid. And um, we do get two lines of the scene when she comes in uh, to do the scene. And Natalie's got a pipe and the script in her hand. And she's like, Cynthia, my darling. And she's like, hello, Rodney. 
and Arnest, Arnold and Willis do a little, they have a little gay brother scene for, for people into this, for people into uh, children brothers acting like homosexuals with each other. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, but it's them making fun of the scene. So Arnold is like, oh, Willis, did I tell you you look beautiful today? And Willis is like, oh, Arnold. And getting all lovey-dovey and stuff to, to chide her. Um, so we learn that uh, she looks this way because she is playing an older woman. Natalie's reading the part of the male in the scene, but that part is actually being played by their teacher, Mr. Wilson. And he also wrote the play. Just want to point out, in the backdoor pilot of The Facts of Life, the drama teacher was Mr. Crocker. <laughs> in season three, episode 12, Green-Eyed Monster, the one where they do South Pacific, the drama teacher was Miss Downs. So they've got a they've got a revolving door of drama teachers at Eastland, apparently. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so this is a, a play mm -hmm. by a teacher that we've never heard of before and we will never hear about again. Right. So then in comes the dad. It's it's a little bit of a Mrs. Garrett situation here where it's like, oh, it's Conrad Bain's show. We really need to give him something to do here. So he comes in and he's like, oh, hey, oh, you're my daughter and I barely even recognize you. So uh, I love that now, your Conrad Bain impression has become your Mrs. Garrett impression of this episode. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I've, I've, it's funny because I've never, I don't think I've ever done it in front of another human being. It's just kind of one of those, just to myself, I just, I just find myself, you know, oh, well, Kimberly, you know, when this Garrett, he makes delicious pancakes. Okay, you want to have a bite of them? It's like, sorry. So ding dong at the door. And by the way, same doorbell as the Jefferson, same doorbell as Silver Spoons, the re, it's that ding, 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 third root, um, fourth below for musical enthusiasts um students so for the students listening and who is at the door but mike tanner mm. who is the coach for the boys from the y yeah. and you can tell because he's wearing uh, a sweatshirt that has a y logo on it mm. what'd you what'd you think of mike matthew i would follow him into the shower at the y <laughs> Some of my most educational experiences growing up happened in the open showers of the Y. <laughs> oh, wow. That will be our next podcast, ladies and gentlemen. True Confessions. Um, but you remember, did like, you recognize the, him? He looked an awful lot like the guy who asked Cousin Jerry out. Yes, indeed, because it is the same actor. It is Lou Richards. In different strokes, he is Mike Palmer. The Coach at the Y, on The Facts of Life, Season 3, Episode 10, called Cousin Jerry Returns, he was Mike Tanner. No. Palmer. He was Mike. He was Mike Palmer on Facts of Life. Mike Tanner yeah, he was on. Um, Tanner on Different yeah. Strokes. I think I just fucked that up. But yeah. But both of them, Mike. They're both Mikes. Yeah. And honestly, you look at him and you think, yeah. yeah, you look more like a Mike than a Lou. Yeah. Lou? His, Lewis? His name's Lou. <laughs> hey, Lou. And uh, you know what I remember him from? He was on Gloria. Oh, that was yeah. the short-lived mm -hmm. Sally Struthers vehicle of her reprising the role of the daughter from All in the Family. Oof. And I'm like, that was my deep dive when we were talking about uh, Archie Bunker and Carol O'Connor earlier. I was like, when did Gloria happen? That was 82 to 83. So that was still Oof. about to happen for him. And I was like, so was that after 
All in the Family, Archie Bunkers. And in fact, that was running concurrently with the last season of Archie Bunker's Place. So Archie Bunker's Place ended in 83. This seems like it's kind of the 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 era of huge spinoffs that are very popular for like three weeks. And then mm. people are like, oh, yeah, this isn't as funny without, without the other. Yeah. Like, Flow was around this time. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. Gloria. I mean, it had checking a, in. Yeah. So it just seems like, and Facts of Life, technically. I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. That first I mean, yeah. season was shit. They just got lucky. But anyway. They did, yeah. <clears throat> True that. So there's True Mike that. from the Y. Yummy. And he walks in and turns into a Tex Avery cartoon. <laughs> he looks at Kimberly and it's like, oh, God. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. Not by, not by much. <laughs> in fact he's just like well hello you didn't tell me you have such an attractive sister like yeah oh we have a sister at home she's hot you you you'd probably want to fuck her yeah. if you saw her yeah. like yeah um and so he just says out of the blue if you're interested in a summer job you know the Y is looking for women 20 to 25 to be camp counselors and so you see the reaction of them like oh he's buying this and Natalie is still there, and Arnold and Willis are both, they're all like, oh, he, wow. Sure, she's like, I'll keep it in mind. That's great. And um, he does say the weirdest thing. He's he's a super nice guy. Like, you cast him as the nice guy. He's not the tough guy. He's not the sex pot. He's just super nice. And he's not even the perv, really, No, in this. No, but he does perv a little bit. We'll get there. But unbeknownst to him like it's like anyway go ahead we'll get go there ahead. go ahead we'll get okay. there i have i have felts to be feeled about but that but the weird thing um, that he says to her you have to be single for the job this is 1982 ladies what this the is the not shit? 50 years ago oh jesus it's 40 years ago <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus <laughs> What are we thinking? This is not the 50s. Yeah. This is not, okay, well, little lady, if you want to open a checking account, I'm going to need your husband here. Yeah. I mean. You yeah. have to be single. And 20 to 25. Yeah. Like a 26-year-old uh, shows up that's married. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, exactly. And you need to have a C cup or larger. Right. That's also a requirement it's of the just job. Just because of the suit, the way the suit is in the suit. Yeah, and... it's it's a fitting issue. It really Ugh. is. It's not sexism. So gross. I, but I really, even, I, Matthew, I just want to say, even in my youth, I remember there was a time when jobs would have stipulations like that. But I don't, I cannot remember uh, you have to be single to have a certain job. I feel like that even that was like, what? At the time? And I'd hoped that maybe there was a line cut out. I don't know if this is a rerun version or whatever. I had hoped it was, you know, you have to be single for the job. I wanted one of them to push back. Natalie could have said, why would you need to be single to have a job Yeah. to mentor kids at the Y? And he says, well, because that way maybe I could ask you out on a date someday. That would have been charming. So is he? So like you have to wonder: is he making up that rule so he could Probably. bring it up? You know what I mean? So which which is a little tick in the perv column, Matthew? Just gonna but say he it. But he he legit. No one has told him that she is not twenty years old. No, 
And yeah, so basically Mike and the boys leave to go shoot some hoops, I believe. Giggity. And uh gonna <laughs> go shoot some hoops with Mike from the Y. Been been there. <laughs> Let me tell you, no basketball shows up. All right. <laughs> <sighs> so um but as after they leave, there is this wow moment between Natalie and Kimberly where it's the he really thought I was 20 or older. Holy shit. So then that's where that scene ends. And it is explicitly stated earlier that Kimberly is 15. And the one thing I have to say, the show does do a good job of working that in. That it's not like one of those, uh, but Kimberly, you're so young. Assuming that in 2020, we're going to look at her and say, well, of course, that's a 15-year-old girl. Because clearly we wouldn't. So I like the fact that the show explicitly says she's 15 and explicitly he says, I perceive you to be between 20 and 25 and she doesn't correct him. Right. So now we come into the next scene. We're still in the house and Natalie and Kimberly are rehearsing the scene and it is awful. It's almost like TV writers have a fuck theater writers mentality like well you know how do playwrights write plays at the high school level well they're all shitty and terrible cynthia i'm so glad you decided to have me back and then dana plato is oh rodney i'm just a simple country girl from nebraska and then and then natalie says why do you pull away from me when you know my lips ache for you and kimberly says I just don't believe in rushing things. And uh, number one, yeah, it is awful. They couldn't have written a decent scene. <laughs> they couldn't write a decent sitcom. You're asking them to write a decent scene? <laughs> Jesus, David. And then we have the issue of this is a play where a teacher is writing it and planning to perform it with a student playing out a romantic scene and saying to a student, why do you pull away from me when you know my lips ache for you? It's like, oh, yeah. yeah, there's your yeah. perv factor. Fuck. At Eastland, where I believe they were banning books. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, my God. So then Mr. Drummond pops in. He overhears a little bit of the scene. He fop, That's important. He fops in. He doesn't pop in. He, 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 he fops he kinda, in. Yeah, he kind of bounds in, like, yeah, bounding. I'm a rich person. What does he do anyway? I don't know that they ever said. Do they ever say what he does? Okay. I have to, I'm I, we sorry. We know he's a philanthropist. We know he's, um, uh, but he does work. And I know that they have said it before, but, um. It's one of those things. It's not Is like he own, it's a. It's not like you know, uh, Mr. Brady was an architect. You know, not that it ever really came up in conversation, but everybody knows it. What did Mr. Drummond do? He's on? president of the mega firm Trans Allied Inc. Trans Allied Inc. The mega firm. Trans the Allied mega firm. Inc. Okay, so he's like a. He's like a Trump where he's got his finger in different pies, so to speak. I guess. But, huh. Interesting. I'm pretty sure that, if I recall correctly, 
Hello Larry was also a spin-off of this. Not a spin-off. Where- but it was one of those things where they would do a crossover episodes. They existed in the same yeah, universe. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure that Hello Larry, he was like a sportscaster. Yeah. McLean Stevenson, I mean. And I feel like Philip Drummond bought the radio station to give him that job because they had fought in the war together or something. So I feel like he's involved in media somehow. But uh, yeah, we're right that it's it's pretty nebulous or... Clearly, we didn't watch the show enough to know for sure, but maybe he's like Mrs. Garrett. Maybe he flies planes and is a registered nurse and a dietitian and a school marm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, the deal is, uh, no sooner does Mr. Drummond pop in, does Philip, that's Mr. Drummond, pop in, the phone rings and he answers it and it's a guy for Dana Plato. She, she he says she says who is it and he's like uh he didn't say. He so she answers and then she's like um daddy and he's like oh whoa oh, oh. like oh you want to talk to a boy on the phone I'll clear out. It's like she's 15 it would be like uh yeah do you want to put him on speakerphone while I'm here or do you want me to just hear your side? Well and also that terrible and again it's a it's an acting trope. I don't know that it's a sitcom trope but the act of covering the receiver Ugh. As if he's not going to hear you going, Daddy! It's still right by your face, you know? Yeah. Back in the day, you would cover it, but then you would mouth it like, Get the fuck away from me, or I swear to God, I'm going to fucking kill you. (laughs) You would still cover it, but you wouldn't be like, Get the fuck away from me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it just killed me. So the deal is, um, it's Mike. It's asking her out on a date. And so she quickly is like, uh, Daddy, didn't you say you were going to a charity dinner this week? And he's like, yes, I'm going to it tomorrow night. And then she's like, we can... <laughs> I get to stop. No, don't ever. <laughs> but um, so um, she's like, uh, yeah, I was going to. So she passes off that she's going to rehearse the play. At the house. So she's like, okay, you're going to be gone. Great. That would be a good night for me to rehearse. So then he leaves the room like you do. And she makes a date and all that. So she makes a date with Mike, hangs up the phone, and then turns to Natalie and is like, can you believe it? I'm going out with an older man. Which brings up an interesting point. I think this is a per a, a tick in the perv column for Kimberly. Not for the guy. I'm sorry. I'm team. I'm team Lou on this one team team mike or team lou okay tell me what what are your thoughts i'm I'm because how many times did we get creeped out in the musketeer episode the musketeer special where blair and that other 13 year old girl were hitting on that old man we were like this is gross Mm -hmm. but that old man i didn't look at him as the perv in that he was like yeah gotta go (laughs) yeah oh no no i don't fault him at all mike is under the under the the pretense that that but yeah she's i'll take 15, it one better to talk to want to go on a date with this guy who we don't even know might be 30 woof yeah Yum. and my problem with it is at this point other than i'm going out with an older man so far that is literally the only goal yeah like it's that that is somehow an accomplishment uh, in the notes I'm going to be sending back to our writer friend in the time machine, it's going to be like, this needed to have some type of a more meaning. It needed to be, maybe the boys needed to chide her that, you know, you still sleep with a teddy bear. You're still just a, you know, a little girl 
trying to wear high heels. Maybe some type of a, a dare or something that gives her a reason to say, well, you, I'm, I'm a more mature human being. I could hold my own in the grown-up world. That would be a little something to help it along because at no point ever in this episode do we understand what Kimberly's endgame is other than going out on a date with a man. That's it. That's it. But but you're 15. You know about sex and you know what boys want. Mm -hmm. And I'd have given it to him. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah, but that's it. It's like, did did she not think? It's like, among grown-up things is fucking. <laughs> did she not think she might end up face-to-face -face with that situation, I mean? Uh so, uh, no, 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 we're, we're on the same page with it as far as I fault her and by faulting her, I mean, I'm faulting the writers for not making Kimberly's intentions clear, or even if it's one of those, oh, I just wanted to go on a date with an older man. Shit. He wants to kiss me now. This is fuck. I'm in over my head. Yeah. That's a great sitcom trope that I think often is successful. The, I wanted this thing, but forgot about this other thing. Well, they do have that I'm kind in. of moment. In the, at the end, like where she's like, oh, he, he, like trying to pull away from him, like they're on the couch, don't they? But, but my thing is like, at 15, if you go on a date with a boy from your fucking high school, mm -hmm. you might try to steal a smooch if you like the boy. You know what I mean? It's like boys and girls kiss when they're 15, when they go out on dates. Why would she think a 25-year-old wouldn't want to stick it in her, you know? Sometimes boys and boys kiss when they're 15, David. I'm just going to... Yeah. Not, not when I was 15, Matthew. Sadly, that did not happen yeah. to 15-year-olds named David in Brockton, Massachusetts. <laughs> That's a shame. Uh, so then... The next scene, there's clearly something missing. Something was clearly taken out for syndication because it's a clumsy transition. But we are now in the living room the next night. Dana Plato is in a different dress, kind of a Halston-y looking thing, a little darker color for nighttime. She's got the full face of paint, which she somehow managed to duplicate without Blair <laughs> Warner. Or, or she didn't wash it off. Maybe it's th the same face. Because uh. <laughs> we know that shit lasts. Uh. So then, ding dong, and, and and so she's and she's talking to Arnold and Willis and saying, "So would you do me a favor and not tell Daddy I'm going out on a date tonight? He thinks I'm rehearsing the play." They're like, "Yeah, okay, whatever. We'll cover for you. We we got your back." Ding dong. Oh, hi, Mike. Mike is here. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, "We thought you were going on a date," and she's like, "Yes." And Mike says, "I'm her date." And what does Gary Coleman say? What you talking about, Mike? Ding, 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 yeah. ding, ding. Catchphrase. Check that box. We had to get that into every episode. I, uh, I think it might be fun to go through every episode and see how long it takes them before they use it. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, this episode, three minutes in and we've already got a what you talking about. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wonder if there's a YouTube video of every what you talking about Oof. that Gary Coleman does. Because... For those who don't remember, it wasn't just a catchphrase. It was a cut to a close-up. Yeah. And they would deliberately put the camera in the position where Gary Coleman would turn his head to be full face forward <laughs> to the camera, but looking out the side of his eyes at whoever. 
while puckering his lips. So it was a facial thing as well as a, a, a catchphrase. And so it had to be meticulously uh, constructed visually as well as verbally. Wow. Uh, also, you'll find an, an homage to Federico Fellini in the novel. Um, so Mike does say, well, we're just going to go to a movie. We're going to go see this movie at this location. He happens to tell them where that's going to come back. And she's like, okay, Mike, I'll be right with you. Go outside. Bye-bye. She shuts the door. And they're like, what the fuck are you doing? You are 15 and he is 25. Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah. And she says, again, this could have been the chance to justify it, but he thinks I'm 20 and you have no idea what it feels like to be a real woman. Oh, so oh. Uh, uh, awful dialogue. But again, it's like there were so many better, more applicable, sensible things that could have been said here with, you know, what, what are you planning to do with him? What and have him say, what if he tries to kiss you? And then have her say, oh, I'll just deal with that when it happens. The idea that I'm not thinking that far ahead. I'm just excited about going to the movies with this man. Oh. I could have been into that. Oh, this the, <clears throat> we must have watched different versions. On the version I saw, she turns around in front of the door and says, look, if you screw this up for me, I will cut your balls off because I'm going to get railed by this guy. He's going to run a train on me, and then I'm going to show you Polaroids of it tomorrow. <laughs> If you tell anyone, got it? And then she walked out. That's just, I wrote down the quote because I thought, I thought it was pretty direct. Wow. So you must have watched the DVD original broadcast version, be, not the syndication version. Could be. Yes. Could be. Yeah. So the next scene, Arnold and Willis follow them into the movie theater. And this is where we were talking before. There's no maid here because there's no supervision of the kids. Dana Plato's a 15-year-old, so the assumption is she is left in charge of the younger kids. And she's like, well, peace out, bitches. I'm going to get some D. And it's like, what? so the kids, Arnold was like, well, we're going to go out too. We're just two young kids walking through Manhattan in 1982 going to, I mean, granted, it's probably Central Park West. It's probably a little safe. But the thing is, they end up in the movie theater unsupervised. They try to sort of fuck up the date by throwing popcorn at them a ridiculous it's ridiculous slapstick fucking yeah farcical scene out of, yeah. out of nowhere and it's just yeah. ugh. and this is not the most farcical we get no. we're about to get into a be a beaut of a scene as the kids say so then uh we're back at the house arnold and willis are there and uh they they clearly weren't able to interrupt the date because Kimberly's not back. So dad gets home. They mention that he's early and he's like, well, yeah, the food was not really that great and the speeches were boring. Where is Kimberly? Uh, the the I thought she was rehearsing tonight. Uh, yeah, she is rehearsing, but somewhere else with her teacher. And he's like, oh, OK. And he's like, well, let me go get a bicarbonate. Well, I need to go get a bicarbonate because of my stomach. So he goes into the kitchen. Oh, I need a bicarbonate. Oh, mm. Does anybody else want a bicarbonate? Anybody? Yeah, exactly. How about a bicarbonate? <laughs> Where? My tummy's a little upset. I think I'm going to go get a bicarbonate. <laughs> the fuck is wrong with these people? Uh, yeah. Then I'm going gonna to head on down to the drugstore and get a phosphate, you know? It's... Jesus Christ. <laughs> did, you, did you see where I put my button shoes? I get it. You can't say Alka-Seltzer, but... <laughs> <clears throat> yeah it's like yeah i need to i need to clean up my ears i'm gonna go get some swabs 
<laughs> Anywho, in comes now to the empty living room, Kimberly and Mike. Mm-hmm. So they sit down on the couch mm-hmm. and he puts his arm around her. Yeah, he does. She sort of uncomfortably tries to deflect and make light conversation. He does say, oh, this is a this is a good one in Mike's column. He says, you really seem nervous. And she's like, huh, yeah. Uh, and so anyhow. She sits down on the couch. She doesn't know how his... good she's got it right now. That's probably the hottest guy that's ever going to talk to Dana Plato. <laughs> she looked back and went, damn, I should have hit that so oh. hard till I broke it. She wasn't used to guys with all their teeth from the meth talking <laughs> talking to her. <laughs> Sorry, that's later. So, Yeah. So at this point, he's got his arm around her. He's sort of trying to kiss her and she's sort of pulling away. And, and he even says, I'm just trying to kiss you. That's all. Like, he even says that. Like, the, you get the sense of that's all I was trying to do. I wasn't trying to do anything more. And I think they needed to say that explicitly because Mr. Drummond comes in and he overhears the end of their conversation where she says, in response to him saying, I want to kiss you, she says, I don't believe in rushing things. That is a line from the shitty fucking suck-ass horrible play that she was rehearsing earlier. So Mr. Drummond overhears this and immediately makes the assumption that she is rehearsing, and this is the teacher of whom he has never heard or spoken or seen, and we now move into the territory of a Three's Company episode. But it is a callback. What happens next is a callback because this happened when she was on the phone. There was a bit of the, I, I'm talking about one thing that is that is actually what you're talking about, but I don't know that I'm talking mm-hmm. about that. They had this a little it, bit of this yeah. earlier. Yeah, just as a setup in terms of the fact that that was to sort of put things in place so that this moment could happen where he thinks it's the teacher. Yeah. And he, and uh, so we get this, and I don't hate this, but it is a little, again, it's because it's creepy because she's 15. And the audience is laughing away as he says they to They love it. As he says to them, well, what would you get? What would you I can't do it. Say what he says. <laughs> what, you, I sound like Walter Matthau, for Christ's sake. <laughs> you sound like Commander McBrag. The, the, the Sandstormers the go single file. Um... <laughs> What Cornelius Hackle? He's my chief clerk. <laughs> but what is? But this um, say? he says, he says, ah, oh hi, daddy. She says, and he says, ah, the boys told me you were out. I guess you decided to do it here. At which point it cuts to Mike going, <gasps> like, do it here again. This is this is the Mister Furley reaction. This may as well be Mister Furley, Jack, and Chrissy for fuck's sake. And then he says, oh, she's pretty good, isn't she? Uh, yeah. uh, Oh, I know you two have been at it all evening. You need to think about getting to bed. And then he leaves. He just breezes in and breezes out. So after he leaves, talk about old people trying to write dialogue for young people. Mike turns to Kimberly and is kind of like, wow. And he says, your father has really got it all together. He's like, he's a hep cat. He's a, he's a righteous dude. You know what I mean? He's basically trying to say, Wow, you know how cool is it that you fuck ju- your dad? No, 
that's I feel like he's saying. trying to say like, oh, your dad's real with it. Like he's said that you he's tried you out and shit or whatever he said. Gross. No. No, I guess she's pretty good, yeah. isn't she? That does. Oh, you're right. You're right. That's a Nick Fowler. <laughs> but, but the idea is he should have said something like to the effect of, wow, you're that's really open-minded for for a guy his age. Like they could have said that, and that or, that's timeless. Wow, your dad is a pervert. <laughs> yeah. Wow, he's awfully interested in your vagina activity. There are several references that he makes throughout the series where it sounds like he is going to take those kids upstairs and molest them. <laughs> what? What? Like he's going to spank them. He's like, he tells Arnold, "Get upstairs now and pull your pants down." Like, oh my god, you're like, right. If... Oh my god, you're totally right. That ha- they they did. Yeah, he did spank them and he would threaten spankings. Yeah. That's right. Oh my god. But anyhow, so at that point, he feels as though, well, I have her dad's permission to make the moves on her. So, he instead of advancing to kiss her, he grabs both of her shoulders and starts trying to kiss her and she's clearly not into it. That is the creep factor, number one. And then we cut to Arnold and Willis up on the balcony by the bedrooms saying, shit, we need to break this up. Uh, the word, I, be, I believe the dialogue is, we need to bust this up before dad busts them up. So as Arnold and Willis descend the grand mame-like staircase. Like the candles. I'm sorry. It was Lucy's version in my head. Could you? It's a little lower. Could you? Light the candles. <laughs> Get the ice out. Roll the rug up. It's today. <laughs> so as they descend the staircase, yeah. we pan down, and Mike and Kimberly are still basically wrestling. He is still. Kind of trying to get into there to get some some lip smack in action, and she's wriggling in his grasp. Like I'm like okay, so in the entire three or four lines of dialogue of Willis and Arnold, there has been this fucking wrestling match down there of a dude saying I'm gonna kiss you and a girl saying I don't fucking want you to kiss me. Fuck the age thing. Whether he thinks she's 20 or whatever age, that's the... No, Mike. It would have been nice if he were just hugging her or trying to kiss her on her neck or something and she was like, oh, fuck, what do I do? What do I do? I could have signed off on that, really. Women didn't have that right, though, in 1982 to to push a man away. Yeah, I don't think that came until the 90s, I think. I've said before, consent did not exist in the 80s. It's a damn good thing we're talking about it now. What's so horrible is that this is not even a second thought was put into this storyline. It was so prevalent. It was so normal that they wrote this and nobody was like, should we really make it? You know, nobody said a fucking word in that probably all male writing room. Oh, Oh, God, yes. And the thing is, even this character who's supposed to be the nice guy and saying things like, well, you seem really nervous. Well, all I want is a kiss. It's like suddenly he's Bluto and she's olive oil. It's like, geez. Uh, Yeah, you're you're right. Fuck this. Fuck. Anyway. Um, So then back in comes Mr. Drummond again. 
Matthew is slinking and bounding and <clears throat> looks like he's fopping. doing a twist. Like, he's fopsing. He, he looks like Anne Margaret at the beginning of Bye Bye Birdie. How dare you? So Arnold and Willis come into the room and sit on the couch and Kimberly is clearly glad that they're there to run interference because God knows she needs help. So then in comes the dad. He's like, what, what are you two boys doing up? Upstairs, you two. Leave your sister alone with Mr. Tanner so they can finish. Giggity. <laughs> or Mr. Tanner can finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, off they go. They're like, okay, that's cool. And then that's when he has, do you remember the next moment? when Before he leaves the room, what he says to yes, them? Yes, but I want you to say it in his voice. No, I want you to say uh, You uh, have to I, say I, it in his uh, voice. <laughs> and then... And right before he leaves the room, his his Mr. Furley exit line. And when you get this thing right, call me. I'd like to watch. Oh, that is if you have no objections. <laughs> it's that, how three's company is that? That didn't like that didn't tip Mike off. Like he's like okay, okay. What yeah? What the fuck is going on what here? House yeah, of thank have you. I walked into. <laughs> Exactly. What's with the two young black so, boys that live upstairs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, finally, Mike is like, wait a minute, re- rehearsing. The, th- the whole thing about the play comes out. Finally, Kimberly fesses up and says, Daddy, he's not my teacher. Uh, he's sort of my date. And he says, date. And he says, how old are you? And Mike says, I'm 25. Mm, and 25. Mr. Drummond grabs him by the lapels. Yeah. Conrad Baines is going to rough this kid up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't stand a chance, Conrad. Yeah. yeah exactly. He's This guy, and he works at the Y. He's fucking athletic. What, do you think you're going to beat them up? Like, what, if, if you just stand right there, I'm going to call Mrs. Garrett up at Eastland School, and she's going to come and karate chop you. <laughs> But it would have been anyhow. funnier if they had been like, hold me back, hold me back. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so finally, he says, and, and while this whole thing is going back and forth, this sort of questioning about well, what about the play? What, what? You're not the teacher. Arnold and Willis are given commentary jokes from the peanut gallery. Finally, he says, what are you doing with a 15 year old? And Mike is like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck? Yeah, but we don't know if his boner got bigger or if it shriveled up. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, And in his defense, he does say, you told me you were 20. Yeah. And she's like, um, not exactly. Yeah. You sort of said you thought I was 20 and I didn't correct you. Ugh. And he's like, you fucking cunt. And... No, I'm sorry. That was that was edited out for the syndicated yeah, version. Right. Uh, and then and then uh, uh, Mr. Drummond turns to Kim. He's like, what, what, what's going on with you? What do you mean by pre- what the fuck are you doing pretending to be a 20 year old? And so she just looks at Mike and says, uh, Mike, I, I'm really sorry. And he Mike says, great line. And he goes, well, I really should be getting out of town. I mean, here, go. I really should. Go. And he leaves. And then uh, here's the, of all the puzzling things in the episode, after Mike is gone, she says, I'm so embarrassed. I'm sorry, daddy. And they hug. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, it's okay. 
No. No. No, it's not okay. It's like, what type of punishment will be administered for this, you little brazen fucking whore? Especially as a widower of this, my only daughter. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I want want Conrad to be a little more protective of... (laughs) Of his child. His his daughter's, exactly, her <laughs> virtue. It's all she will have to offer a man when someone decides to marry her. But all those but, kids uh, are fucked up, so clearly he was a terrible dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. So um, Arnold and Willis do step in and say, we're kind of sort of, this is a nice moment, where they say, we're kind of sort of accessories to this crime. Because we knew it was going on, we could have told you, and we kind of covered for her. And so he's like, well, you know, well, if I'm not going to punish her. Certainly I'm not going to punish you. And then he says to Kimberly something about, all right, if you if we if we're going to have this out, let's sit down and do it right. And I'm like, oh, OK, good. Let's do this. He's going to rip her a new one. And he's like, why would you go out on a date with a 25 year old? Don't rush to grow up. It happens fast enough. And curtain. <laughs> and exactly. It's like. What? That's your word to that, everything. That's what she gets. Honey, everything's got to it's it's sitcom. Everything's got to be wrapped up in a nice little bow in 23 minutes, even if it means underage date rape. <laughs> David, I, I yes, you, thank you. I've learned my lesson. But at the very least, this is a, talk about a sitcom trope that would have totally worked here is, so promise me, Kimberly, that you're going to stick to dating boys your own age. Yes, I promise, Daddy. Which you won't be starting for the next two months because you are grounded. Or she's 15. That, Even say, which won't be happening until you're 30. You're my only yeah. child. Oh, yes! You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Um, because yeah. you're grounded until you're 30. Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. Yes, I totally agree. This is just like, it's like, no, no, no. Somebody... This is this is kind of a, a law of drama, a law of writing or whatever. The idea is that if a character in a show tries to pull something off, tries to uh, deceive someone, somebody else, they try to put one over or come up with a scheme, it's not just funny to deceive someone else. The humor is not just in the scheme failing. The humor is in the scheme failing and it backfiring on them. So it's that, you know, it's the thing of it's Wiley Coyote. He sets up the trap. The roadrunner goes by and it doesn't work. It misses the road. The boulder misses the roadrunner. Eh, that's eh, fine. It's when the boulder bounces back up <laughs> and crushes the coyote. That's where you're like, fuck, yes, this is hilarious. He holds a little sign that says, yikes. help (laughs) so my biggest disappointment in this is Kimberly does not have any punishment handed down from her own dad especially in a show that was very well known for their very special episodes yeah it's it's literally a show about parenting about kids who didn't have a parent who I, I, yeah, this is a big epic writing fail for me because not just the ruse of pretending to be different, but she did lie. She said, I'm going to be rehearsing my thing with my, you know, what if Mike was a serial killer? (laughs) What the fuck? Who knew? 
It's like, no, you don't lie to your parents about that shit when you're 15 without being punished. Now, dear audience, we are aware that we are asking a lot from a sitcom called Different Strokes. (laughs) (laughs) David realizes this. We just want you to know that David doesn't really feel that Different Strokes should be used as a disciplinary tool for Kimberly. (laughs) <laughs> but speaking of tying things up oh in a my bow, god do you remember the final joke no, the final I think joke i dozed off by this point <laughs> yeah well the final joke to kind of bring it all home and bring everyone together is um kimberly says we just went to a movie daddy i swear there was some jerk who was throwing popcorn at us it wasn't even a very good date and Arnold shrugs and says, well, <laughs> guess you never know who you might meet in the balcony of a movie theater these days. Mm-hmm. Been there, Arnold. I can tell you. <laughs> you do not know in New York City no. who you're going to meet in the balcony at a movie theater. <laughs> in Times Square mm-hmm. in 1982. Mm. <laughs> I hear you. Then the response is, how did you know we were in the balcony, Arnold? Yeah. Oh, suddenly them sneaking out becomes a thing, so. <sighs> yeah. And then the dad just says, oh, well, it's okay. You can just do whatever the fuck you want. <laughs> um, this show was on for eight years. <laughs> eight. I don't even want to see this show when it had jumped the shark when Dixie Carter showed up. And and her son Sam, or worse, Marianne Mobley, because Dixie Carter yeah, oh, that's right. left to do, and that's an episode that Gar- Mrs. Garrett apparently comes back for is his wedding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and yeah, the season seven was he was married to Dixie Carter, and then season eight, Different Strokes had been canceled by NBC, and ABC picked yeah. it up. So its final season was ABC. So with that, there's always changes that have to happen and one of them is that dixie carter wasn't still around and it became the same character of his wife but it was played by marianne mobley what was the yeah. next i mean it was it was the was, show was canceled so dixie carter took the next job designing women and as like was that the same yeah. year was it it was oh yeah this was painful this was, <laughs> this was awful <laughs> But Sorry. we got our crossover episode, Matthew. Thank this God. is Facts of Life adjacent because we got Blair and Natalie in completely dismissible roles at the beginning of the <laughs> yes. show that yet one could argue were inherently necessary, integral to the plot. Okay. <laughs> I feel like they could have, it wouldn't have been out of this world for Kimberly to say I did my own makeup. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I'm rehearsing a play. You could have had one of them. You could have had just Natalie there. Or you could have had Arnold reading the other part, just for comedy's sake, to have that little guy reading the part. Why do you pull away? I don't want to read. Anyway. Yeah, I don't want to be no... And again, playing, you're my sister. This is gross. That would have totally been on brand for Arnold. But, but the idea is that they did want to do these crossover episodes because this was, this was still early. We were, um, we were getting to the end of season two of Facts of Life. Facts of Life had kind of found its footing. This was probably a smart thing to say, hey, remember these girls are here. If you stay tuned after this, you'll get more of them and keep watching the show. And it is the next season. It's the subsequent season after this 
that Different Strokes is moved to Thursday, and Facts of Life gets pushed back to the 9 o'clock slot right after Real People. That's a big fucking deal, and that Facts of Life seriously benefited from that. It also, this show kind of always amazed me, like how Hollywood is so blind and so short-sighted and so tunnel vision. They see, oh, America likes this little black guy. And then we get Webster. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's like, no, it's not that we just like any little black person thrown our way. Raven Simone. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, Rudy Huxtable. Rudy. <laughs> There's a reason we like them. Like Aloha Paradise, that other <laughs> show we were talking about. It's like, people love Love Boat, people love Fantasy Island. And who doesn't love Debbie Reynolds? Fucking <laughs> 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 Barbara Stanwyck uh, was busy or something. <laughs> Jesus. All right. Well, Matthew... I think we have cured all of the yes. ills of mankind, and we have celebrated Halloween 2020 in great style by recording this show. I love it. And this was fun, mm-hmm. actually. I mean, even though the show sucked. Ugh. Oh, it's honestly, when the shows suck, isn't it more fun? Yeah. There's more fun things to talk about. Let's get real when it comes to the snark factor. I might go rewatch yeah. the episode where he asks out Cousin Jerry and just, you know, French kiss the pillars. let's get a little more mic in my life i need a need a little more loo (laughs) self-quarantine romance stories with matthew arthur (laughs) coming soon to a podcatcher near you well matthew my love i'll talk to you soon it has been great we will talk to you soon and we'll talk very soon because we've got season what coming up season six it had to be you. It had to be An you. Excellent episode. Oh, it is. Uh, it is. Yeah. Excellent. Yes, that is happening. So until next, we meet and record and uh, send our love to the Tutti Fruities for a happy Halloween. Many smooches to all of you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us and the show. And uh, goodbye. Do you, do you want to say oh, bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. Okay. <laughs> bye. bye now. Okay. <laughs> Take care. You want some bicarbonate? Don't. <laughs> I gotta go get a bicarbonate. <laughs> you gave me the Rona again. <laughs> Excuse me.